It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Ah, uh, well, here we are, and I'm glad to have you back with us, Rich. Well, thank you. I'm glad right. to be here. <laughs> okay. I was thinking, and everything is so topsy turvy. And my word, it was last week and the week before that, and it's been getting that way, but it seems to be getting worse. Our children are the ones most at risk when we leave them in the care all day long of someone we've taught them to respect and listen to and pay attention to. And then they're taught in the classroom things we don't believe, things that defy common sense. What do we do then, folks? What do we do? And I was thinking of some of the old hymns that have blessed the heart of the Lord's people down through the ages. Listen to this one. History has tested our faith. Wars, atrocities, injustices, and natural disasters have, over the centuries, made believers wonder if there is a God, and if so, where is He when we suffer? But nothing has tested our faith so much as the human mind itself, that both naturally needs to worship the God of awesome creativity and unfathomable order, but at the same time tries to reduce this majesty into someone we can control, a God created in our image. Thankfully, the God who created our intelligence in the first place doesn't shrivel when we use our minds to question His existence. He holds us until we cease our struggling and finally surrender to His embrace. Rich, that was a choir, or was it a congregation singing that? But you could feel the unity in their voices, couldn't you? Right, and they were singing about prayer, and every major revival yeah. is preceded by a movement of prayer. That gives me hope. Yeah. These old, you know, so many of our listeners, when they comment and they call, and and uh, they say, I love the old songs. And uh, the truth is, uh, they speak to the heart 
just as much as they did when they were first written. Now, in, in keeping with where we're going with this, um, what do we want more than anything else? And not just uh, this old hymn, now, this old song, this old gospel song. It doesn't apply to just you. You want your family. You want your children. You want your your neighborhood and the congregation. Find a good Bible-preaching church that really stands for the Word of God. And then, and then listen to this song with me. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. listening to that song. I love I had, that song. Oh, I, I do too. Isn't that interesting? Because I'm a lot older than you. <laughs> I'm your dad. <laughs> I find myself doing the just a closer walk. Yeah. Just a closer walk. Uh, now, folks, what is most important now? I'm so glad that God has people that we've never heard of. And then all of a sudden they emerge. But God knew who they were all along. And Alan Jackson, where is he in Tennessee, Rich? Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just a little bit southeast of Nashville. And he just joined the the um, the, the group 
our listeners all across Bot Radio Network now you can yeah. hear Alan Jackson Ministries every day. Well, I tell you, I heard him. See, folks, I listen to Bot Radio Network, <laughs> and uh, and I'm blessed. I'm inspired. But Alan Jackson had a had a word to say uh, just a while back about what is most important. Think about that, and listen listen to this with me. Now, I'm very conscious. I read a lot of the literature of the church and try to stay aware of what's happening in the broader church world. We have lots of words to excuse our silence. We talk about being covert operatives. We're bridge builders. We have a greater opportunity for good if we're not disruptive. So we turn down the volume on Jesus and we don't talk so much about what we believe. Because after all, we're trying to win hearts and minds with what? Deception? It feels awkward to me. There's a blind man in this narrative without resources, without support from a broader group, and he manages to stir Jerusalem to its core to consider Jesus in a new way because he has the courage to tell his God story. The pressure wasn't just on his parents. The pressure was greater on him. Just say what you're supposed to say. Stop with that narrative already. The parents' priorities are greatly misplaced. Their son, who was formerly blind, can see. Gratitude would be a better response. We have to guard our hearts. Whose approval do you want? How happy are you to be invited into some circle? To be included for yourself or someone you care about so that you'll be silenced. What we're walking through these days is not new. Folks, the cancel culture is not a new thing. It's as old as human civilization. John chapter 12, different context, different story. Verse 37, John 12. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still wouldn't believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, even many among the leaders believed in him, in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. It's a little blind. We're removed by a couple thousand years and the culture is not immediately apparent to us. But the power brokers in Jerusalem were the most powerful and the wealthiest people in the nation. I wish I could pick you up and take you to Jerusalem this evening. We could walk through a 5,000 square foot house complete with beautiful tile floors and multiple bathrooms. A lavish home on the side of the hill overlooking the Temple Mount. And the scholars agree, the Jewish scholars agree, that it was most likely a home of one of the, the religious leaders. Prime real estate, beautiful house. So when it says they're not willing to, to believe, that they're not willing to acknowledge in spite of the miracles, that they love the praise of men, it's not just affirmation, they like the life they're leading. And they're not about to use their voice to put that at risk. They understand there's a consequence because the people who are standing in opposition to Jesus tell them blatantly, boldly, repeatedly, if you are affirming of him, you'll forfeit your place. Sound familiar? We're not the first generation to face this. It intrigues me. Verse 41 says, Isaiah said this. 
Said what? Said, Lord, who's believed our message and whom is the arm of the Lord to whom has been revealed? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory. If you don't know the timeline from the whiteboard Bible, you could miss this. You read that, you think Isaiah lived next door to Mary and Joseph. Isaiah lived 500 years before Jesus. Isaiah had a revelation of Jesus hundreds of years before his birth. And he believed in Jesus. And now there's a problem in Jerusalem because even after all the miracles Jesus has done, the people who have seen them will not believe. We have a little idiom, a little expression where you seeing is believing. No, it's not. You can see and not choose to believe. They saw the miracles and chose not to believe. Belief begins with a decision. You decide to be a believer. You decide to yield to the authority of scripture. You decide to yield to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're stubborn and skeptical and rebellious and an unbeliever, you can't see enough evidence to cause you to convert. You have to choose to believe. It takes courage and strength to believe in God. We're not the first generation to be threatened if we stand up for Jesus. This is not the first time the world has seen this. It's an old song. I mean, it's wrapped up in some new delivery systems. We've got some new forms of technology and some new forms of communication, but the threat's not new. The question is, who are we going to be? The power of one. What you choose to believe makes a difference. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. There's that line again. John just keeps pushing it back at us. Now, Joseph is a wealthy man. Not anybody could just walk into the governor's office and ask for the, the body of somebody. He's an influential man. He's a powerful man. He's a believer in Jesus, but he's been bullied into silence. He's a secret believer. And now Jesus is dead. And in his brokenness, it's as if Joseph says, you know, I just don't care anymore. Pilate, can I have his body? With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Some of you may, and some of you may not remember, in John chapter 3, a man comes to see Jesus under the cover of darkness. His name was Nicodemus. John tells us that he was a, a, a leader amongst the Jews. And he said, Rabbi, I know nobody could do the miracles you do unless he came from God. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, how is it that a ruler of my people doesn't understand that you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again? How can it be? And Nicodemus steps back into the shadows after that little interaction. We haven't heard from him until we get to John chapter 19 and Jesus has died on a cross. You have to have the imagination that the horrors that Jesus has gone through perhaps brought out some of these secret people. Don't you know there's a brokenness in them? Joseph goes to Pilate and says, I want his body. I don't care what people say. I don't care who knows. And Nicodemus comes. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about 75 pounds, expensive. We're told that uh, in, in Bethany, back in John 12, a woman poured perfume on Jesus' feet and she was criticized for it. He said, we could have eaten with months of the cost of that perfume. What do you think 75 pounds of that would be worth? Nicodemus doesn't matter, care what it cost. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it. I think it's safe to say that Joseph and Nicodemus didn't prepare a lot of bodies for burial. This is personal to them. They wrapped it and with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. When I read that, I can't help but think that their hearts were heavy because of the opportunities lost. The times they didn't say, I know him. I'm for him. I think he's okay. I'm on his side. And now that day is past as far as they know. And the only way they can express their devotion is treating his dead body with dignity and respect. Not allow it to be thrown into a pauper's grave. Folks, we don't want to be in that place. We want to be advocates for him. The very next chapter, John 20, this time it's the disciples. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, here's our phrase again, for fear of the Jews. This is John 20. We followed this phrase all the way through John's gospel. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Just think. The Bible has this crazy gift for understatement. You know, the blind man in John 9, he came home seeing. And the disciples, after they're hiding, because they think they're next, and they're going to a Roman cross, because their best friend, the most powerful man they ever knew, got executed by the Romans, and they watched him suffocate on a cross, and now they're in lockdown because they know they're next. And Jesus steps into the room, and John said, and they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. (laughs) I don't know what words you use for like, out of their mind, ecstatic, beyond reason. But on Sunday... They have a private faith for fear of the Jews. It seems to me that contemporary Christians have a lot of private faith. Like our political leaders talk to us about freedom of worship, that they will allow us freedom of worship, that we can gather in our buildings and do whatever we want to, as long as we do it in our buildings. Just to be clear, what the Constitution affords us is freedom of religion. Very different thing. And we've had our little polite Sunday morning faith for too long. I, I want to close with this, and this is true. I'm really in now. I think it's important to acknowledge that as in our overcoming, even heroes wrestled with fear. So that it's not a weakness in you or an inadequacy in you. When you, when you pause to say, you know, I can't, do I have the courage to do this? Or I'm tired of standing. It's not a failure of your character. It's a part of the human condition. Don't give in to it. Don't yield to it. But understand, even those who make heroic responses still wrestle with fear. I gave you, it's 1 Kings 19. I'll, I'll just summarize. It's Elijah. Immediately preceding this, he's called fire from heaven on command. Not like sometime in the next 90 days, let there be a lightning storm. He called it on command. And he's challenged the whole nation to repent of their idolatry. And he's executed personally hundreds of idolatrous prophets of Baal. Tremendous victory, tremendous courage. But then the message comes to him that Jezebel says, by this time tomorrow, I'll have your head. And look what it says. He was afraid and arose and ran for his life until he came to Beersheba. You you, you probably wouldn't know the geography. That confrontation took place on the Mount Carmel. If you go to a modern day map of Israel, find the port city of Haifa. It's on the northern part of Israel. Mount Carmel is right there next to the port city of Haifa. And then you can find Beersheba on a modern day map. He ran from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. He went a long way into the desert. And he didn't stop there. He kept running. He is struggling. 
And just, just look at the last verse there, verse seven. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. God sent angels to help him. He said, I know you've stood in a hard place and I know you've done heavy lifting and I know what you've accomplished is beyond your physical strength. Folks, I'm not asking you to stand up just in your strength. I'm not asking you just to marshal your courage or to summon your fortitude. I'm asking you to be more aware that we are children of the king. And the power of one, when you choose to cooperate with the spirit of God, has a significance beyond anything we know how to estimate. We're not just church attenders or quiet people. We're not being trained to be polite or tame. We're here on an assignment. And the future of the place where we live is not really clear at the moment. I don't think the outcome has been decided. And I think there's a great deal still in play. And I think outcomes have an enormous part to do with the heart of the church. Not to be angry, not to be violent, not to be accusing of others. To humble ourselves before the Lord and say, forgive me. I've wanted to be accepted. I've wanted to fit in. I haven't really wanted to be ostracized because of my faith. So I haven't said much. I've been kind of quiet. But it's a new day. If you read the disciples in the book, the Gospels, they look like Keystone Cops or the Three Stooges or something. You wouldn't have bet the future of our faith upon that. But after the day of Pentecost, they're a different group of characters altogether. And we can tell our story in the same way. You know, prior to that, we were one thing. But God changed us. We'll sit outside and have church. Let it rain. It's okay. We'll go where we need to do. We're going to be together. I brought you a prayer. Really what I brought you is the doxology to the book of Jude. It's the conclusion of the book of Jude. But the language is so beautiful. I wanted you to have it. It's worth repeating. It's worth memorizing, honestly. Let's stand together and say these words together as our conclusion. To him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Oh, Rich. Amen. <laughs> well, now, wonderful. What a great word for today. I'm, I'm going to... Uh... Oh, man. Well, let, let's take some listener comments. We haven't had, sure. had them for a while. But, but it made me think, if pastors of the churches in a community, I'm not just talking about your group, folks. I'm talking about the churches in the community that preach the gospel. will work together, stand together, recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wouldn't that make a better town? a better community, a better state, and a better country. And, and for us to speak up and not just be secret Christians, but yeah, to really express everything that is in the Bible and how we should be living. Yeah. Well, anyway, let, let's take our first listener sure, comment. Sure, sure. And let me say this. The listener comment number is 1-800-345-2621. Bot Radio Network has been such a huge ministry in my life. I am a mother of young children, and I desperately need renewal and strength each day from the Lord and ministry from preachers, 
like the ones you put on your radio network, which are all biblical, and I'm so grateful for that. Thank you so much for all you do. God bless. <laughs> oh, that touched my heart. Now, you see, she's a young mother, and she has young children. And, uh, and dear lady, um, keep those little kids from being indoctrinated. Uh, they should be educated. Too often, the schools today, even the ones we call the best schools, are not educating, but they sure are indoctrinating. And parents, parents need to be alive and well and watching and protecting what those little children are hearing and learning and accepting as truth. Well, let's take another one. I am Hope from Muskogee. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dick and Rich for the last uh, program that they had with Dr. Jeremiah featured and his good, excellent message. Dr. Jeremiah's voice was the first voice I heard on your Tulsa station when I first moved to Muskogee, that his voice was familiar because my husband and I knew David and Donna from Cedarville College. My husband studied Greek with David. I love your station. Bye-bye. Oh, wasn't that nice? Um, Rich, I've been thinking, you know, the speakers on Bob Radio Network are, are people. They were children themselves one time, and then teenagers. They had a mother and a father. Someone was watching out for them and teaching them and helping them grow. What say you? And it's the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's what ties them all together. All right, let's hear another one. Oh, I just want to call and uh, thank Dick and Rich Bott for their show and everything that they say. We have a cancel culture out there, and it's canceling our history and our foundation and our statues and our Christian heritage, and lies abound. So thank you so much for encouraging those of us who listen on a daily basis. Uh, we have just a, a few moments. I'm going to ask our producer if... Uh, he will play just the first few bars, the first part of Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. That's another old one. Um, by the way, it's number 99 on the list, Mr. Producer. That's another old one. I love it. Let's listen. folks. Um, the time goes by so quickly. This is Dick Bott with my son, Rich, and glad to have you back uh, again, Rich. Thank you, Dad. Glad to be here. All right, with another chapter of The Complete Story. See you later.